Now that's the right attitude we should have. (laughs) Praising and thanking the Lord no matter what happens. Knowing that He's good and He's working it for good. Let's uh, bow together. Father, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for, again, the privilege we have to be together and to be praising You and worshiping You this morning. And Father, I pray as we look into Your Word, You would... Help me to share it exactly as you desire, that it would be divided rightly, that we would respond, each and every one of us, as you desire. We would allow you to do your work in our hearts through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have quite a different uh, picture of uh, churches out there. If you look at different uh, churches these days, you've got all kinds of different churches. Uh, There are those that are clearly uh, apostate, who have rejected the Lord, uh, who do not believe uh, truly in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who evidence that uh, through their continual ordained disobedience, whatever it might be. Uh, you see uh, churches that name his name, that uh, there are uh, really believers in there. And yet you've got leaders uh, bringing forth all kinds of different stuff on these churches. Uh, James, when he uh, was uh, uh, inspired by the Spirit, uh, excuse me, Jude, inspired by the Spirit, was desiring to write about our common salvation. The Lord prompted him to, to uh, warn us. Uh, that there were those who have crept in unnoticed. And we see that in churches these days, and we need to be on guard to it. They've crept in, and we see the fruit in churches and the destruction of those uh, who do know the Lord and then those who don't, never coming to the Lord. And so with that in mind, we've been going through the book of Colossians, and the Apostle Paul has laid forth what true ministry is, and now he will begin in chapter 2, to compare that to bogus ministry. And within that, we are warned uh, not to uh, allow uh, such false teachers and evil men and imposters to take us captive. And God has warned us throughout his, his word. And so today, in preparation for Colossians, I want to look at another passage that will be helpful, a parallel passage, somewhat parallel, in Philippians chapter 3. So would you turn to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to see how to keep from being ensnared. You know, we wouldn't have these warnings, as we'll see, unless we could actually be tripped up, ensnared by false teachers. And God does not desire that to happen. He desires us to trust his son, Jesus, to have him as the central focus of our relationship, to not be sidetracked by things that have the appearance of, of, uh, of religion or, or a focus on Jesus when they're really not. So with that in mind, turn to Philippians chapter 3, and I want to read our passage, and then we'll talk about the context. He says in Philippians 3, verse 1, Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Philippians 3, 1 through 3. And so we're going to see how we can keep from being ensnared by false teachers. Now, uh, notice he says in the beginning here, Finally, my brethren... And now, is this the last thing he has to say? Well, there's certainly more in Philippians. This term literally means, as for the rest. As for the rest. It's a transitional phrase, and Paul has already shared with them. He is writing to the saints uh, who are in Christ Jesus at Philippi. These are not Jews, or maybe some Jews there, but these are mostly Gentiles in Philippi. And the Apostle Paul is under house arrest in Rome, chained to a Roman guard 24-7. Now, he has already shared with the Philippian church his circumstances. He is imprisoned, but the gospel is not. He has shared his attitude, that is, to live as Christ and to die is gain. 
And he has shared that in everything, whether life or death, his desire was for Christ to be magnified. It's at this point he turns to address the Philippians' attitudes. They were to be united. They were to be humble in spirit. They were to be like Jesus. They were to have the mind of Christ. And after giving the perfect example of humility, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, we see that he was exalted to his rightful place where he was before as Lord of all, as we say. And then because he is Lord of all, uh, we're to obediently work out our salvation with fear and trembling because the Lord of all is at work in us. God is at work in us. So we are to obey. And then the first command is to not complain and argue because that is a, because of your, uh, you are stretching out the word to the world rather than, you should rather than, be, than stretching out them seeing you, uh, being complaining and arguing. We are lights in the world. And then we see, uh, he begins to give some selfless examples of humility, including himself. Those in whom God was working in them and their salvation was working out. We see Paul's example. We see Timothy's example. We see Epaphroditus' example. And then it's from this point we come to chapter 3 where Paul reveals that amid the daily living out of these truths, we're going to face opposition to the gospel. There are make-believers, there are false brethren who ultimately worship in the flesh, glory in self, and rely on their flesh, who will try to pull us away from the simplicity of a devotion to Christ. And so at this point, we have a warning for us for our own good. So how can we keep from being ensnared? And you know, believer, I bet you know, maybe you are. You know someone who's been ensnared by uh, theology that's not right with uh, the word of god you know people that have been snared by emotionalism you know you know people have been snared by different things believers are they're probably saved but they've been caught up in it and we who stand need to take heed lest we fall because these warnings are for everyone we could fall in a second we think oh i'm not like that well we better recognize we could be like that if we don't trust the lord if we don't take these warnings seriously So notice, first of all, how we can keep from being ensnared is we need to have the right attitude. If we have the wrong attitude, if we are complaining, grumbling, upset, uh, not joyful, as we'll see, we we are perfect for being taken captive by those with uh, evil intent. So first of all, he says, finally, my brethren rejoice in the Lord. He says, my brethren, he's speaking of the Philippian believers. They are those, chapter 1, verse 1, who are saints in Christ Jesus. You see, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are placed into the body of Christ, and you become a family member in the family of God. We become children of God, and we are brethren. We are brothers and sisters to one another. We are in God's family. And it is so important that we remember we are all members of one another. We are in the same family. And remember uh, this tremendous reality that being one another in the same family, it's even a higher relationship than our physical families. We see that with the Lord Jesus Christ when his physical family, which he loved, was coming to talk. He said, who are my mother and my brothers and sisters? Those who do the will of my father who is in heaven. So we've entered into a higher relationship and we're abound by a common origin through faith in Jesus Christ. So he says, finally, my brethren, my brethren. And then he gives a command, rejoice in the Lord. Or it's actually in the present tense, you could translate this way, finally, my brethren, keep on rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing. And you say, well, wait a second, can we obey a command to rejoice? Yes, we can, because notice we are to rejoice in the Lord. We're to rejoice in the Lord. We're commanded to rejoice in the very source of true joy. Later on in chapter 4, verse 4, he'll say virtually the same thing. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. 
Now, we rejoice in the Lord because we, we will rejoice in the Lord when we look at what He has done for us and who He is. When our eyes get on our circumstances, on our failures, on our temptations, on whatever it is, we stop rejoicing and we are vulnerable to those who will come along in our flesh and help us with our relationship with the Lord. We need to recognize that true joy comes from a right understanding of our relationship with the Lord and in abiding in that relationship. In Psalm 1611, uh, the psalmist writes, In thy presence is fullness of joy. Now, we know sorrow. We know sorrow. We know difficulty. But as believers, we also know joy. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy. When we're abiding in Jesus, even though we could be having sorrowful, we also have joy. But that joy is centered in something. When we went through Nehemiah, we saw that Nehemiah told those to not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. In Psalm 511, he says, But let those who take refuge in thee be glad. Hey, if you take refuge in Jesus, be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. He says, And mayest thou shelter them, those who love thy name, may they exalt in thee. For it is thou who dost bless the righteous man, O Lord, and thou dost surround him with favor as a shield. When we see it rightly, we can rejoice. When we're not seeing it, we're not going to rejoice. And it has to do with the forgiveness of sins. See, if we get our eyes off of what Jesus has done for us onto what we're experiencing, we're in trouble. We've got to keep our eyes focused on what he has done for us. David says in Psalm 32, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, how blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. You're blessed. And he'll go on later on in that same Psalm, verse 10, say, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, okay? And rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. You see, when we focus on what Jesus has done for us, it brings us joy. It brings us joy. Psalm 43, O oh, send out, verse 3, O oh, send out thy light and thy truth and lead them. Let them bring me to the holy hill and not to thy dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God to my exceeding joy. Psalm 71, 23, my lips shall shout for joy. I will sing praises to thee and my soul which thou hast redeemed. You got to get your eyes back on Jesus. If you get your eyes off of Jesus, by an, exhibited by not having joy, now we have trouble, but we got to renew our minds. We got to get it back in the Lord. We get tempted. Things happen. We got to say no. This is not the full reality. This is what God says. This is what He promises. Psalm ninety-five, verse one: Oh, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the Rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout with joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. He's, all, he's over everything. And he loves us. He died for us. The things you are struggling with, he's way above that. Rejoice in him. Rejoice in him. Joy is summed up in the person of Christ, who he is and what he has done for us. And when we walk away from that, we sin and joy is lost. It's lost. One pastor writes, now he again refers to that which is so in his heart, that he, the saints would be rejoicing. Joy and holiness are inseparable. A holy Christian is able to rejoice when passing through the deepest afflictions, but a believer through unwatchfulness has permitted himself to fall into unholy ways, loses immediately the joy of the Lord, which is his strength, which is the strength of those who walk in communion with him. Agree with that. David, when he sinned, he had lost the joy of the Lord. And he said, Restore to me the joy of salvation. Right? We see that. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. You know, if you find yourself sinning and not joyful, go to the Lord. Lord, restore to me. Confess sin. Restore to me the joy of salvation. Restore that, Lord God. So let me ask you, have you lost your joy? Well, then you're letting the things in your life get to you. You're letting the people and the circumstances get to you. You're letting those things get to you rather than the Lord get to you. The joy of the Lord. 
We need to rejoice. I need to be reminded of that. You need to be reminded of that. Things happen. I got reminded. No, no, no. This is not everything, Lord. You are so good. You are so kind. You are so gracious. You know, and, and, and it gives us joy to speak of him, to think of him. So then, we have such great reason to rejoice, we are commanded to rejoice in the Lord. He even repeats it, as I mentioned before, chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So then, a lack of joy is a spiritual thermometer for all of us. It's not for you to point to me at. You're not joyful. It's not for me to point to you. You're not joyful. It's for us to look at ourselves. Do we have joy in our hearts? Doesn't mean we don't grieve. We do grieve. The Lord Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, one from whom men hid their face. That does happen. But we can have joy in the midst of sorrow if we focus on the Lord. So then what's the point? Why does he share this right before he begins to remind them of the dangers of false teachers? Because I believe we are vulnerable to false teaching when we are not joyful. When we are not focused on Jesus Christ, we are vulnerable to allow things to enter our hearts which we normally wouldn't. Because we're vulnerable, because we have sinned and we've let our guard down. So Paul says, keep on rejoicing in the Lord. So my question is, have your trials and troubles and the things happening around you taken you down? Keep on rejoicing in the Lord. Get your focus back in the Lord. Otherwise, you are vulnerable. God is warning you. He's warning you. Get your attitude right. Get your heart right. Say no to those wrong thoughts. Kill them off and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in what he said. And it's a process. We all know that. We all trip up. We all fall. We find ourselves. And we go, wait a second. That's not right. That's wrong thinking. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. So notice he says now in our passage, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble for me, to me. And it is a safeguard for you. Paul states it is no trouble or literally no effort to write the same things again. He is reminding them, as we will see, about the dangers of false teachers. And it is no trouble. It is no trouble. Now, if you were in a church that focuses on your felt needs, on what you think you need, then you will never be reminded or warned about the dangers because that's not a felt need. I don't have a felt need to be warned. I want to be fulfilled or whatever it is. But God warns us. He reminds us of the dangers. We walk in a dangerous time. The world is against us. It's going the opposite way. Our flesh beckons us to go back to the way we were. And the devil tempts us to trust in other things than the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are people who will come along and package that in a religious way. They will use man's wisdom and the elementary principles of the world and repackage it. It's just like like bait on a hook for a fish. And if we are not joyful, if we are not heeding the warnings, we will bite into it and we will experience the pull of being pulled away by that which is not of the Lord. The Apostle Paul was very clear and warned people over and over again about threats to their relationship with Jesus. You might say, he's always saying the same thing. He's warned us. Well, turn to Acts chapter 20 and we're familiar with this passage. He warned them, there are dangers out there. Now, I'll share some of the dangers today. They're very subtle. They're packaged in a way that seems like it's okay. You can have your flesh and eat it too. You know, you can, you can follow the Lord and be fleshy, basically. That's really what it is. And pretend you're not. But it never works. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 be on, your, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. He's talking to the Ephesian elders, his last words to them, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd in the context to feed them a church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. They're very, very valuable. He says here, I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. They're going to come in. They're going to come in. They're not going to spare the flock. It's, it's a picture of a wolf coming in and grabbing the sheep and ripping it up and killing them, right? 
And he says, and from among your own selves, men will arise. That's awful. Speaking twisted or perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Boy, we've seen that, haven't we? You bet. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Now, we are in an age where information is so everywhere. You know, before at this time, you had the letters that were being shared. There were false, phony stuff. We see that too. But there was, there's the letters being shared. But you didn't have the internet. You didn't have a radio. Paul didn't have a radio. You didn't have a radio ministry or a TV ministry. There was the word of God coming forth. But we have this stuff everywhere. We need to be careful. We have input. There's things that come in, maybe not through here, but from out there. We've got to be careful. Well, certainly there'll be men coming in also, as we say. It's obviously men that do it. And he says, back in our passage, to write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it's a sacred view. It's no trouble. It's no effort. But it is a safeguard. A safeguard. That speaks of that which is literally, which is firm, which cannot be thrown down, that is sure, steady, immovable. It describes stability and firmness, that which is not easily tripped up or overthrown. It is a safeguard for you that you wouldn't get overthrown by this stuff. The same word is used in parallel, speaking of Christ, uh, with the word anchor in Hebrews chapter 6.19. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure, firm, foundation, safe, a safeguard, and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. Paul's inspired continual warnings are a safeguard. They're a safeguard. They're to keep you from getting tipped over, from getting taken. Getting taken. You know, if you neglect the word, you will be in debt to it. If you don't listen to the safeguards, you could get taken captive. You could get spiritually kidnapped for a while. We'll see that. Believers can get taken, and God says he doesn't want that to happen. And therefore, he warns through his word. Through his word. You see, the warnings are a safeguard. They're an anchor to stabilize us in his truth, as opposed to the false teachers, which toss us to and fro. Ephesians chapter 4. And he gave some as apostles, verse 11, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer tossed, like to be like children, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. We don't want to say, is there really people that do that? Yes, there is. There are really people who try to trick you, who are deceitful schemers. He says here, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, grow up, right? In all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. It's a safeguard. The living God is concerned about the spiritual threats to our faith in Christ and is warning us. This is not just Paul's concern. This is God through Paul concerned for us. He loves us. We need to heed the word. We need to believe the truth. And Paul says, it's no trouble. It's no trouble for me to remind you again. To remind you again. It's no trouble at all. No trouble at all. Well, what were these threats? What were the threats specifically to these uh, Gentile believers at the time? Gentile believers. Well, there were most likely at this point the Judaizers. They were those who were Jews who claimed to have come to Jesus Christ, but yet were adding in works to a relationship with Jesus. They were appearing to be very spiritual because guess what? The faith came from the Jews and came out to the Gentiles, right? Our faith is in Jesus Christ and it moved from Jews. So they were elevated and revered in that sense in their teaching. And you see that here, that these Judaizers were a threat. Later on, he's going to say, beware of the mutilators, the flesh choppers. 
That's what it means. And we'll talk about that. Those who circumcise physically but spiritually devastate. Beware of them. Now, these Judaizers would claim Christ, yet they were those who would add works to salvation. You need to do something to be right with God. You need to do these things God has said in his word. They twist the word of God. They twist the shadows and make them primary. They were bad. You need to do this stuff. And you say, well, this is not a danger to the Philippians because they're already saved. Well, yes, they are. They're saints in Jesus Christ. But it's a danger to their walk with Jesus, to their growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And sadly, there are people out there who are believers who have been sidetracked for years because they didn't heed the warnings and they allowed through their own flesh those in worldly wisdom to come in and kidnap them spiritually. Remember what Paul said to the Galatians. He says in Galatians 3.1, You foolish Galatians! You're foolish! Who has bewitched you? It's like you're under a spell! He says, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed, you know he got crucified. He said, this is the one thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer, obviously, is by hearing with faith. And he says here, are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, now you're being perfected by the flesh? You're letting people take you out, take you, take you for a ride. You're foolish. Stop it, guys. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, we're going to get into this when we get into chapter 2. As therefore you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. But that doesn't fill my flesh. We want something to fix us right away. We want something to comfort us right away. It's not by, we want the things that are really not by faith, by the way. We don't want to trust in Jesus and rely on him. We want to fix. So we have the obvious dangers today. There's nothing new under the sun. There are the obvious cults, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, where salvation is by from works and not grace alone. But there are more subtle dangers. More subtle dangers. Look at Colossians chapter 2 because you see the modus operandi underneath these bad guys. Colossians chapter 2, and let's look at verse 8. The 2 verse 8. See to it that no one takes you. And this is why I keep saying kidnap. That's where this comes from. See to it that no one takes you captive through what? Philosophy and empty deception. And according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Someone comes in with a slick uh, paradigm. But it's a man-centered paradigm repackaged to be, quote-unquote, biblical. It's a man-centered. It's philosophy, empty deception, tradition of men, according to tradition of men. Look down at verse 18, chapter 2. Let no one keep defrauding of you, of your, out of you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels. People were saying, hey, you got to push your body down to be holy. You need angel help. You need something, right? You need angels to help you, Right? The reality is, he's saying here, taking his stand on visions he has seen. People will say, hey, there's other things that can help you. It's Jesus Christ that helps us, not angels. Now, they are ministering servants, but it is Christ. It is Christ. Taking uh, stand on visions which he's seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. People say, I've got the, the Lord's vision, whatever it might be. Not holding fast to the head, that's Jesus Christ, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with the growth which is from God. It is the Lord Jesus that you need, not these systems and stuff that come from men, from men. We've seen it in in very large ways over time. The prayer of Jabez, the purpose-driven life, Those are clear examples of wicked, uh, evil philosophies of men being packaged as that which is from God. Uh, We've seen things, you know, if you are, you need to be like these reformers. You need to be like them. You need to mimic your life after them. No, mimic your life after Jesus and those in Scripture. 
As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. We received him when we heard the word and believed. We heard the word, 1 Peter 1. We heard it and we believed it. We grow as we feed on the word. Sanctify them in thy word. Thy word is truth, Jesus said, John 17, 17. We are to grow, uh, we are to uh, yearn for the pure milk of the word and uh, grow in respect to salvation. We're to do so. God uses his word to make us like Christ, and there's no shortcuts. The threats we see in the church today are in some way to pervert or dismiss the word of God. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Secretly. They're going to come in, and they're going to secretly introduce destructive heresies. Even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Look down at verse 15, 2 Peter 3. And regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as in also in all his letters, speaking in them of things in which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort to as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. They take the scriptures and they distort them. They distort them. Very sad. There are all kinds of examples. I can give uh, just a million examples all across the the the, the spectrum whether it's the charismatic Word of Faith TBN-type church, uh, men who give lip service to the Word, or women even, unfortunately, and suddenly, subtly elevate feelings, experience, dreams, and bogus prophecy over the Word of God. They relate faith to experience, to experience, rather than the all-sufficient Savior Jesus Christ and His all-sufficient Word. They leave deceived sheep as prey for the enemy. And there's Christians in those churches that are deceived. There's no doubt about that. It's the, the bad guys are the leaders. The bad guys are the leaders. And these days we see these reform type of churches under the guise of being biblical that elevate reason packaged in theology. Always quoting some reformer or teacher which appeals to our intellect. We see that with the Corinthians. They were Apollo of Paul's. They were, they, they liked those guys. Paul said, we're nothing. It's God that caused the growth. We see the equally dangerous person in the evangelical church who knowingly or unknowingly attacks the process of sanctification by not preaching the word or watering it down, leaving the sheep as prey, not sharing the word of God. Ezekiel 24, Ezekiel 34, let me read this for you, verse 2. Thus says the Lord God, woe to shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds be feeding the flock? Ezekiel 34, verse 8, as I live, declares the Lord, surely because my flock has become prey, my flock has become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search out for my flock, but rather they fed themselves and did not feed my flock. 2 Timothy chapter 4, turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 4. There are bad people out there. There are bad people. And there are believers that are held captive or hostage. We've got a hostage crisis in America these days. Spiritual hostage crisis in churches these days. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. You better preach the word, Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove and rebuke and exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure. Sound, they can't sit under it. 
That's te- doctrinal means teaching. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. We have these emerging church people, uh, churches that uh, are emerging, in a sense, away from God's word and away from him into worldly ways to, to minister to uh, the world. But where's the concern? Where's the concern? Where, where are the elders kicking these people out? I'm not allowing them to propagate this stuff on all different spectrums. Where's the concern? Notice what uh, Timothy, Paul tells Timothy concerning false teaching and just in relationship to food. To food. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. You see, whether it's on the charismatic side, the emerging side, the hyper-reformed side, if it pulls you away from Jesus Christ, it is not right. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And by the way, the reformed people, they, they eliminate half the Bible by saying uh, the church is Israel. How can you follow that? 1 Timothy chapter 4. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now you're going to think this is some, some satanic cult ritual or something, but listen to what he says. By means of the hypocrisy of liars, excuse me, hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own consciences as with a branding iron. This is 1 Timothy 4. Now here's what they say. Men who forbid marriage and advocate from abstaining from foods. That's demonic doctrine. That if you're not married, you're more holy. That if you don't eat this or this, you are more holy. That's doctrines of demons. Even in that. Which God has created foods gratefully to be shared by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected now, you may not like Brussels sprouts and you can reject them, but if someone says you've got to eat them or reject them to be holy, then that's where you let it go. He says, for everything that's good, he says, if it's re- not to be rejected, if it's received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by the means of the word of God and prayer. God says it's good, and then by prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this food. And notice what he says here. This is the point I want to get to. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of sound doctrine which you have been following. Now, with that inherently comes people who may not like what you're saying. And they get their bows and arrows ready out in the congregation as you start to share, right? But he's saying, hey, you're going to be a good servant. You're going to be a good servant. You're going to be a good servant. Boy, I rarely hear of elders who are protecting the flock by silencing and driving out storytellers and movie clip preachers. I rarely hear of that. Are those who are propagating subtly uh, reason in theology rather than Christ. Rather than Christ. Elders in congregations are allowing false teachers and teaching to shipwreck people's faith. We see this in so-called evangelical churches and seminaries who seem to be unconcerned. And where's the concern? Jude was concerned, and this was a long time back. Jude 3, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you concerning our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write you, appealing to you that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. That's the word of God. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Unnoticed. Do you see the warnings in Scripture as a safeguard for you to hold up and allow you to topple over, to keep you firm? How do you respond to those who were to relay this? Paul tells Timothy, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Are you a pastor, overseer? Are you concerned? Are you willing to be a good servant and warn the brethren? For everyone else, are you willing to hear and accept and heed the warnings from the Word of God, from your leaders that are watching over your souls? So then how do we keep from being ensnared by false brethren and their teaching? First of all, have the right attitude or you're vulnerable. 
your focus isn't on Jesus and what he's done for you, which will bring joy. You're going to be vulnerable. You're going to be vulnerable. Secondly, uh, we need to uh, heed the warnings. Heed the warnings. And third, we're to actually look out for them. We're to actually watch out for them. We're to be aware. Look at verse 2. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. He gives three bewares. They're all imperative commands. Paul shares here. The word blapete means to uh, uh, constantly be observing with a point of avoiding. If you say beware, that means look out, but but that's so you can miss it. You can... Uh, Avoid it. You say, beware of that pothole over there. There's a lot of potholes on the road over there. Beware of that. Well, you're going to be looking so that you don't go in the pothole, right? And he says it three times here. Constantly be in view with a view of avoiding. Well, what are we to avoid? Notice, first of all, he gets three things. First of all, he says the dogs. Sounds like a pep talk for postal employees, right? (laughs) You know. What does he mean by dogs here? Well, there's two related words for dogs. One was one that spoke of a little household pet, a little puppy. We know those dogs. And then there was another that spoke of the mangy, uh, vicious, uh, rabid uh, dogs that, that roamed around. We know about dogs. Have you ever seen a mean dog? It's not a nice little puppy, right? Not at all. He's talking about not the little nice puppies, but the mean uh, dogs, the the flea-bitten, ravenous uh, scavengers that go out and and just uh, take advantage of whatever they can find. Whatever they can find. So with that, these vicious, rabid scavengers roaming the streets, he says, beware of them. Now, he also, I believe, uses this as a as a, uh, a way to expose the bad guys, because the bad guys would call Gentiles dogs. And he's saying, hey, these Jews, they're the dogs. They're the dogs. How ironic. They're dangerous. We're to be out on looking out for them. And this is uh, where we kind of get off and we kind of miss it, because these guys disguise themselves. We've got to look out for how they disguise themselves. We've got to look at them and beware of them in light of what God says about them. Matthew chapter 7, the Lord Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. They look like believers. That's where we get thrown off. They talk about Jesus. They come to you in sheep's clothing. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, For such men are false apostles, verse 13, deceitful workers, disguising themselves. They actually disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. And even no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan claims to be an angel of light. He disguises himself as that. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end shall be according to their deeds. We saw in Jude 4, for certain purpose, persons have crept in unnoticed. We see in 2 Timothy 3.13, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. False teachers disguise themselves as true believers, and I hear this a lot. They're such a nice guy, and they love Jesus so much. But look at the fruit. Jesus said, look at the fruit. In the New Testament, we have continual warnings. As we saw in Matthew 7, 15, beware the false prophets from the Lord Jesus. Paul warned the Ephesian elders. I read this earlier in Acts 20. He warns in Romans 16, Galatians 1, Galatians 3, 2 Corinthians 11, Philippians 3, Colossians 2, Titus 1, 1 and 2 Timothy and Second Peter chapters 2 and 3, and Jude. A lot of warnings. We're continually warned. And we know that God does allow them. Deuteronomy makes it clear he allows them to see if we love him. It's a test of where our heart is at at the time. It shows us where our faith is at. So then, there are those, along with God's true voice, sharing the word of God, Rightly, and there are those who falsely and deceptively proclaim and twist it or omit it. 
and we are to be constantly looking with the intent of avoiding. So he says, beware the dogs, or the dogs. And then notice he says, beware the evil workers, literally workers of evil. You see, Paul calls it like it is. What they do is evil. It is evil, no matter what the motive is, no matter how nice they are, it is evil to add works to uh, a relationship with Jesus. It is evil to twist the gospel. It is evil to omit, to twist or lessen God's word. It is evil to subjugate his word to experience. It is evil to mess with the process, any process of salvation, whether it's justification or sanctification. And folks, we can fall into that at times. We can think man's way. We can get caught up in the elementary principles of man. And Jesus will share what that's about. When Peter was talking from man's point of view, uh, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Matthew 16. You are thinking, you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. There are a lot of churches that set their minds on man's interest. That's the setting your mind on man's interest church. We see that. And Paul says they're evil workers. Now, we need to remember people in there, many are being held captive. Jude talks about having mercy on some, pulling them out of the fire. You know, we need to be careful because our hatred for false teaching, we can lash out at people caught up in it. We need to be gracious and share the truth that they might be set free. We need to be careful. Be careful. So they're evil. They're evil workers. People who tell people to keep the Sabbath in light of New Testament understanding, they're evil workers. People who say you must be baptized to be saved, those are evil workers. People who say you must receive grace through the sacraments rather than through a relationship with Jesus Christ who is at the right hand of the Father, they are evil workers. They are evil workers who prophesy, cast out demons, and perform many miracles apart from Jesus. He didn't know them. Depart from me, I never knew you. They're doing all kinds of work for Jesus. So much so that when they get before him, they say, didn't we do all this stuff for you, Jesus? All this ministry. Depart from me, I never knew you. There are evil workers who say, just try or add Jesus and see how it works out. Rather than God is declaring to all men everywhere that they should repent. There's evil workers who starve the flock, adding man's wisdom by feeding them stories and topics rather than the word of God, no matter how much they appear to be, uh, or whatever their motives might appear to be, they're evil workers. So then they're dangerous dogs, workers of evil. And then notice what he says back in our passage. He says, beware of the false circumcision. Now he uses a wordplay on the term circumcision, uh, peritome, that's the term circumcision. And he uses it, he says catatome, which means strictly cutting in or chopping up meat. He's saying beware of the mutilators. These false teachers uh, mutilated uh, their followers. You say, how so? Well, the physical is obvious, unneeded circumcision. So you've got to follow the law in this way to follow Jesus. But they also mutilated spiritually. They were false. They were false. The specific example speaks of circumcision. They missed the original intent completely, trusting in the symbol rather than the reality, trusting in the shadow rather than the reality. And that's what false teachers do. They trust in the shadows rather than the realities. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant. It was an outward symbol of a covenant relationship with God, an inward relationship by faith. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, it talks about the Lord God will circumcise your heart. They had to have changed hearts. The circumcision was an outward symbol of what had should have happened in, internally with a real relationship with the Lord. The Apostle Paul uh, talks about how the outward symbol always related to an inward reality in Romans chapter 2. He says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly simply by circumcision. That's what he's saying. Neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. 
But he is a Jew who is one, or you could say true Jew there, who is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit. He's one that evidenced the reality of the symbolism in the Old Testament, having a heart where the flesh was taken away. They were saved through Jesus Christ. So the Judaizers mutilate the spiritual reality. They mutilate it. The symbol, they say, saves and sanctifies rather than the reality behind the symbol, Jesus Christ. Colossians 2. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. One pastor writes, The mere externalists, including legalists and ritualists of all descriptions, always make more of the ordinances and outer forms than the condition of the soul and the spiritual truth symbolized by those ordinances. We see this throughout. Beware, beware. Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians 1.6, I'm amazed you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of God for a different gospel. He's saying if anyone brings it, even us or an angel from heaven, let him be accursed. So we are to beware, beware, beware. We're not even to give these people a greeting if they don't bring the teaching. Second John. Let me read that. Second John Verse 8, he says, watch beware, or beware, little same word, watch yourselves that you may not lose what we've accomplished. That was the word being in, working in them, growing closer to Christ, a relationship with him, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Anyone who abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him in your house. Do not give him a greeting, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Are you participating in the evil deeds of false teachers? Through radio? Through books? Through TV? If you're not sure, bring it to a mature believer. Bring it to an elder. They're they're charged to watch over your souls. We've been warned. We've been warned. There's a lot of bad stuff out there. There's a lot of bad stuff out there. And some of it is packaged to manipulate you, whether it's emotionalism, whether it's reason, whatever it might be, whether it's uh, getting along with people, whatever it is. So how can we keep from being ensnared by false teachers and teaching? We need to be rejoiced in the Lord. Secondly, we need to heed the warnings. And third, we need to diligently watch out for them. You've got to have your eyes open. And lastly, we need to know the marks of a true believer. And this is really related to the teachers, the false teachers who are not true believers. And you should look at the teachers. They should, they should relay these characteristics of a true believer. But it also applies to us to see what a true believer looks like. He says in verse 3, For we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. He begins with the word for. He's explaining, in contrast to the false believer, what a true believer looks like. And we have the marks of a true believer. Now, who is the we? I believe he's certainly speaking of Timothy himself, Paphroditus, possibly the, the saints at Philippi. It certainly will apply to all believers, but I think in contrast to the false teachers, he's really focusing on the teachers themselves. He says we are. And then he gives three participles to describe what it looks like. And first of all, we'll see the true believer worships in the Spirit of God. Or literally, better translated, worships by the Spirit of God. True believers, present tense, continually, habitually worship by means of the Spirit of God. True believers worship by means of the Spirit, which implies it is not by the flesh in contrast. John chapter 4, you might remember the Lord Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. He says in verse 23, Behold, an hour is coming, and now is, and we're in that hour, by the way, uh, where true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Truth. No true worship takes apart takes place apart from the Spirit of God and apart from His truth. 
There's all kinds of things called worship out there. There's all kinds of worship songs and worship ministries, but much of those focus on us rather than him. Now, I can listen to a Christian song that I enjoy, but I recognize this isn't worshiping God. It's not bad, but it's, 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 it's about my relationship with him, and I enjoy that. Praise the Lord. It's not worship. It's not worship. Worship is the focus is on him, as we'll say. It's on him. You see, we've so compartmentalized worship. We have worship time, worship leader, worship seminars, worship band, worship songs. But is it music that constitutes worship? You might remember how those in the boat after Jesus walked on the water and calmed the sea, how they worshipped him. It wasn't after the sea was calm and Jesus got in the boat, they got all their instruments out, and the guy stepped up and said, let's turn down the lights and darken everything. It wasn't like that at all. They worshipped the Lord, it says, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. That's worship. I was so disappointed to look at a church I had attended 25 years ago. They've gone that way. The 30-minute sermons and the dark time during worship. It's not going to be dark worshipping in heaven. It's going to be very bright, I think. Just the world's ways snuck into churches. Revelation chapter 7, and the angels were standing around the throne, verse 11, and the elders, the 24 living creatures, they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Blessing, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. That's worship. That's worship. Real worship takes place when the Spirit of God reveals the things of Christ and we respond in the context of truth. False teachers have twisted worship into a flesh-driven experience. People go in there and their flesh is tantalized by the great music or whatever it is. They love the music. They love it. They go for that reason. It fills their flesh. Rather than the Spirit of God illumining the truth of God, that we would respond and give God glory. Really clear. Paul would say that no man should boast before God. Let him who boasts boast in the Lord. The Lord is the one who should be exalted. Jesus said concerning the Spirit, he shall glorify me. The Spirit of God will glorify Christ. That's how you can know. For he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. The Spirit of God reveals the truth of Jesus and causes us to praise him. To praise him. So when it comes to worship and ministry, watch who gets the glory. Watch who gets the glory. Watch who gets the focus. The Spirit reveals and glorifies Christ. So I want you to I challenge you to rethink your view of worship. True believers worship in the Spirit of God. In the Spirit of God. Well, notice um, they do something else. Second thing. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God. The leaders are going to worship that, so the people that are true. And secondly, and glory in Christ Jesus. I mentioned this earlier. Now, this interesting, this term glory is not the term doxa, which is usually translated glory. It's actually kakuamai, which means boast. True believers worship in the Spirit of God, and they boast in Christ Jesus. They boast in him. I mentioned this earlier, but let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And God nullified everything through the gospel that men would not boast. And by who he chose, the weak and foolish things, that men would not boast. we got people boasting all the time in ministry and at churches. Their names are huge, or whatever it might be. Or what they're doing is the focus rather than Jesus. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. He says here, who boast in Christ Jesus. Jeremiah 9.23 Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast in his wisdom, nor the mighty man boast in his might. Let not a rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boasts about this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord, who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, 
for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. False guys boast in their achievements or their ministries. I see these things. We save so many. You saved? God saved. God saves. You didn't save anybody. We are just vessels. Paul said we're nothing. God caused the growth. I planted Apollos water, but God caused the growth. Therefore, he who puts water are nothing but God. On a side note, who do you boast in in your life? At your job, your abilities, your talents, do you give glory to yourself or do you give glory to God? Do you give to Christ? Do you thank him for what he's done? Do you thank him how he helps you? Do you thank him for the skills and talents he's given you? True believers boast in Christ Jesus. Lastly, Paul says in his threefold description of true believers, he says, and put no confidence in the flesh. It's interesting because the first ones is they continually habitually worship the Spirit of God, continually habitually boast in Christ Jesus. And the last one is a perfect tense. It's basically translated this way, and have put no confidence in the flesh and continue not to do so. They don't put any confidence in the flesh and they still don't put confidence in the flesh. And in the flesh, having no confidence. What does that mean? We're the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God, glory, boast in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. You see, we began with no confidence. You didn't get saved with any confidence in yourself. You had zero confidence. You didn't call out in Jesus and think, well, I'm, I'm good enough to, 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 to work with you, Jesus. You had no confidence. Zero. You trusted in him completely for salvation or you were not saved. As you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, so walk in him. We put no confidence in the flesh. These are talking about the ministers, but also we're tempted to. But those ministers who are out there, they should put no confidence. If they're real believers, no confidence in the flesh. Jeremiah 17.5, thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength. Trusting in man's ways, man's principles, marketing, whatever it might be to do ministry. Trusting in those things rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting in the ways of man to minister. True believers put no confidence in the flesh. They trust Jesus. They trust Jesus. Paul said, uh, not that we are adequate to consider anything coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. I can't do it, but Jesus will do it through me because he's powerful, he's good, he's promised that he will. He's promised to help me. He'll do it. It's the Lord Jesus. You see, it's all about whether Jesus gets the glory, whether Jesus is being trusted or not. And if you're a true believer, these things will ring true with you. So where do you stand today? When you go through your daily tasks, do you trust in the Lord or do you rely on yourself? Do you fall back into ways that you were before you were saved? As I mentioned, when you came to faith, you had zero confidence in the flesh. And that's how we're to walk. And true believers walk that way. We trust Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust Jesus. Paul sharing his testimony to the to the Corinthians who were being bamboozled by false teachers, by the way. They're believers, but they had listened to the voice of the Spirit. They didn't beware. He says, when I came to you, I didn't come with superior speech or wisdom proclaiming the testimony of God, I, but I determined nothing to know nothing among you but Christ Jesus and him crucified. Our current churches are flesh-driven. Whether they're charismatic, evangelical, lots of reformed. I'm hitting reformed. It's a lot of bad stuff out there, folks. It's a lot of false teaching. False teaching. And it plays to your emotions. It plays to your reason. It plays to you. It makes you prideful. Marketing, polling, felt needs. This ought to grieve you. So then we have a definition of true believers and how to spot the false in light of that. True believers worship in the Spirit of God. It's not the flesh. It's not a big, giant rock concert worship service where your flesh is 
is tantalized. They boast in Jesus Christ. Christ gets all the glory. And they put no confidence in man, in themselves, or anyone else. What a sorry sight to see so many churches go the opposite way. But we've been warned. And we've been warned uh, personally. And therefore we need to beware. It's a safeguard for us. And the reminding is of no trouble for Paul to do so. So then we live in dangerous times. And I I, I can't tell you it's not going to happen here. It probably will. People are going to creep in. People are going to come from without. And we need to be able to spot it. We'd be able to spot it. Evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And it's so subtle. It's persuasive arguments. So subtle. Don't get kidnapped. Stand firm in Christ. Stand firm in Christ. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Father, I thank you for these warnings, Lord God, and I pray that we would take them to heart, that we would recognize there are bad people out there who desire to pull us away from the sufficiency of your son Jesus, who are evil men and imposters, Lord I pray we would have a heart of compassion for those who have been caught up in that, that we would have mercy on some, snatching them out of the fire as you give us opportunity, that we would not be uh, uh, focused on finding bad churches and bad teachers, but that we would beware of them. Lord, protect us from... uh, these threats. I pray we'd heed the warnings. In Jesus' name.